My guest this week is Ian Henderson, an advertising expert behind the infamous See It, Say It, Sorted campaign. We talk about how advertising has changed in the digital age and why annoying advertising is sometimes the best way to get a message across. Welcome to episode 217 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. It's blowing an absolute gale outside my window today, so rather than subject you to the sound of the wind, I'm going to dive straight into that interview with Ian Henderson right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Ian, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Roger. Ian, tell me, where are we Skyping each other from today? I'm in Edinburgh, as always. Yes, we're in uh, sunny Clerkenwell, um, in the in the heart of London's advertising district. The heart of London's advertising district, I love that. And today, we're going to be talking about advertising. But before we get into that conversation about advertising, please let the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast know a little bit about your background, Ian, where you came from, how your career developed, where you're going. Basically, what makes Ian Henderson tick? Well, I can tell you a bit about um, where I came from, if, if not what makes me tick, but uh, I've, uh, I've been a, a copywriter in advertising for quite a long time now and um, started off selling cars and whiskey and things like that in various agencies, mostly in London and other places, and um, found myself getting into more interested in um, uh, brand definition and uh, working with brands and then more and more with complicated businesses. And that's kind of what we do at AML Group. And we've uh, been doing it for about eight years. And we uh, we, what we say we do is simple ideas for complicated businesses, and that takes us into technology, into um, counterterrorism, slightly oddly, um, into uh, law, into international finance, and more specifically into retirement, life insurance, and so on. Stuff that's intermediated, uh, regulated, and generally complicated, and often hard to communicate. Yeah, obviously, I'm a massive fan of simplicity. It's one of the it's one of the keystones of my own career as a consultant, trying to help people to keep things simple, simple marketing strategies, simple products, and simple processes. Because I do believe that we live in an incredibly complicated world, and so many people seem to want to overcomplicate everything, whether it's a product or whether it's a, a communication. So we're definitely we're definitely we're on both the, simple men. Yeah, we're both simple men. We're both on the same. page page with that. And we met recently at the Protection Review Conference in London, and you were one of the speakers talking about advertising in the protection market. And it's quite interesting because uh, I opened up the session that you spoke at talking about how advertising can sometimes be annoying. And, and just before we went on stage, you asked me if I knew what the most annoying advert in the country was in the UK. And I sort of looked 
looked a bit dumb and you said it's actually an advert which is used in train stations to make people look out for suspicious packages and they use a strap line which is called see it say it sorted and i immediately launched into a bit of a tirade because to be perfectly honest this is an advert that i hear pretty much every single day because i train travel quite a lot and i immediately started ranting about yeah it is a really annoying advert isn't it and then you paused and said that was one of ours. <laughs> and, and of course... It wasn't, it, I, I have to apologise for that, Roger. Right I, I sort of slightly led you on there, I think. But, uh, but no, we do do that. We, 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 uh, we do various campaigns for different government agencies. And that is, you know, that's been running for a couple of years now. And it's, it has, in fact, been voted the most annoying campaign in, in the UK. But it's also be- become the lyrics of a, a rap song. It's, you can buy it on T-shirts. And you, you see... Uh, sort of uh, teenagers singing it on their way home on the tube quite often. But actually, it's resulted in a 90% increase in uh, reporting of incidents and makes quite a difference to the safety of people uh, while, while they're traveling. So, you know, we don't feel too bad about it. It's quite interesting because obviously I I live in Scotland, I work in Scotland, but I do spend quite a lot of time coming down to London myself. So Mm -hmm. I'll get the train from Edinburgh Waverley and I'll hear, see it, see it, sorted in a Scottish accent. And then I travel down to London and the further south you get, the the different accents come into play using the same script. But that is quite an interesting point and relevant to, I think, what we're probably going to move on to, which is that it is almost like a, a grassroots campaign and it's it's the the people who work on on the, the transport system are empowered to make it their own and to record their own announcements and to use the campaign uh, in an appropriate way where they work and that that is almost what gives it its power i mean we're actually working on a, a refresh of it at the moment that hopefully will stop it being a bit less annoying but also extends that into into other media it's interesting though isn't it that even though it's been voted the most annoying advert it's obviously been extremely successful in putting its message across as you as you've said it's led to more people feeling empowered to report suspicious packages whatever it might be and, and that's great for safety and that's great for the for the traveling public but do adverts have to be annoying to be effective? Um, no, they don't have to be. They can be entertaining. But I mean, I think anything repeated often enough can get quite irritating. I'm, I'm sure if, if people listen to our, our podcast enough times, they might get irritated. <laughs> by it. But no, I think, I think it, the challenge is that it, it's a constant, it has to be a constant reminder because uh, otherwise it, it doesn't work. And therefore it it can get a bit repetitive. And that's that's kind of what we're working on as the next stage. And of course, I, I opened up the um, session at the Protection Review Conference talking about annoying advertising. And, and it was really just the, the point that I w- I'm making is these days, we've got so much ability to create communications like we've never had it before in history. When, when I started in a marketing position 25, 30 years ago, TV advertising, billboards and newspapers and magazines was about all you had. Of course, now we've got all these digital platforms, social media, AdWords, search, all of this sort of thing. Advertising is accessible to so many more companies, even companies which don't have big budgets. I mean, in the past, you had to have fairly sizable budgets to advertise, but now everybody can do it. But maybe it's because of that accessibility, we just seem to be 
more bombarded with stuff than ever before and whether it's annoying in the same in the good way that see it say it sorted is or is it's just plain annoying and plain intrusive we we just seem to have got ourselves into this position perhaps where all of these new platforms come along and we just dive onto them and think how can we use these new platforms to bombard people with messages maybe do you think we've forgotten the the all the marketing principles where we've got to think of the customer first and work out what they want to hear and what work out what their problems are and their needs and then create something that's going to engage them rather than annoy them yeah. i mean yes really what i was talking about goes to the heart of that which was that um even better is to um get the consumers to create the advertising themselves mm. i think um when when we were talking about uh, the new advertising i think that the old model of uh, you know um, big tv ads for allied dunbar in the olden days or um you know the, in in the life sector in particular that sort of push top down approach to advertising feels a bit outmoded in the world of social media and emp- empowered consumers mm-hmm. i think what's really interesting is that you know if you think about things like me too versus uh, harvey weinstein or Big Oil versus Greta Thunberg. It, these are asymmetric oppositions. They, you know, they, they, it's people power. It's user generated. It's grassroots movement, um, or grassroots movement of, of of people who we trust more than those big firms and and companies. Uh, brands are actually beginning to use those. I mean, Airbnb did it extremely well when they launched with uh, their referral system and, um, you know, encouraging people to to recruit other users. BrewDog, we, we talked about at the conference as being, you know, that where the users own the company as well as drinking the beer or Monzo, which is, you know, feels like a grassroots movement, even though it's still a bank. And they've got queues of people wanting to join a bank, which is pretty much unheard of. So, what that means is that those the, the new channels that, that are available to anyone to use in terms of social media and, and content and video and all the rest of it mean that we can turn marketing upside down. And new, the new new advertising is enabled by social media, word of mouth, and uh, it comes from the audience themselves. That's incredibly powerful. So let's just go through the old style and then compare it to the new style. So in the past, let, let's take it. You, you mentioned Ally Dunbar, a long since um, defunct financial services brand, but they were a big company employing hundreds of people, thousands of people. They have a product, let's say it was a life insurance plan or a pension, and they just go away and say, well, our message is, whatever the message was, keeping pensions simple or whatever it was, film an advert and then stick it on TV so that people would sit up in the middle of Coronation Street or whatever it was and think, oh, I need a pension. There's Allied Dunbar. I'll give him a call or I'll give my financial advisor a call. So that's the that's a traditional way of advertising. It's interrupting somebody who's watching something on TV or interrupting them as they're leafing through a newspaper. How does How do we do this new version of advertising? Well, I mean, the first thing to say is is that you know that stuff still works. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, it would be madness to say that 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 we shouldn't, nobody should do that. That would be bonkers, um, it, because clearly it does work. And if you want to reach a lot of people fast, TV is still the way to do it, and um, you can build brands that way. So you know that that sort of top down, let's call it, um, uh, approach is has still got a place and a big place in uh, the marketing toolbox. What we're really talking about is um, the, the the other end of that. It, but it's it's kind of 
push messages from the brand to the audience. Mm. If you can get pull messages where the audience are actually sharing stories themselves and, and actually wanting to build participation around the, um, the thing that they're interested in, in this case, perhaps life insurance, retirement, and so on, then, and that, that you can get them talking about it, um, then you ha- you're not just going, you're not just uh, doing something that's probably more cost effective, but you're also overcoming a big barrier to the psychology of how these products are bought and sold, which is that, you know, there is research evidence that the more you push a uh, message about you need life insurance um, at people, then they quite often react against it and put it back in the too difficult box. And you you build the inertia um, that stops people doing what they what they absolutely should be doing. There was this thing that we talked about at the conference of uh, relational versus transactional trust, mm. which is roughly uh, roughly outlined is that we know that financial services is the least trusted category in the world of uh, of all industri- of all sort of service and, and uh, manufacturing sectors, but and yet you absolutely trust the idea that money will come out of the hole in the wall when you go to your bank, or um, that your savings will be there when you, when you need them when you retire. So. The, the two things seem to be in conflict. What it is, is that our transactional trust, the, our belief that um, the, uh, the bank or the life insurance company or the pension provider will do what they say, is high. We believe that. But do I believe that they have my best interests at heart? Is there a, a real relationship between me and the brand? Then that's very low. And that tension is quite interesting because we don't therefore trust brands particularly financial service brands, to give us advice. We can, they can actually end up reinforcing uncertainty and anxiety. Whereas what we know, again, from research is that people um, tend to trust most relationally their friends, their family and influencers on social media, for example. So they might go to Mumsnet for advice before they go to a financial advisor. That may not be altogether wise, but it's just a fact. So can we use that to create a, a movement, a grassroots sort of pull for um, the, these products that really matter to people's lives to protect their, their um, health, their revenue and so on? Can we actually use that in a, in a bottom-up new advertising kind of way, a bit like a, a Me Too or something, to uh, help people make the right decisions? So would it be a, a question of coming up with some sort of hashtag hashtag protect yourself or something like that and then gets people to, to start telling stories around that hashtag is that yeah, the way to yeah, start yeah. it i mean and put simply i mean that, that 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 is absolutely the approach i mean there's there's three steps really i mean the first one is that you really have to understand the uh, rational and emotional drivers of um the, the of the the different audiences and understand what's going on there analyze that sort of you know that that ecosystem that network and find the the sort of connected connectors the people who you can most influence within that you need um much like uh, yes you're right a hashtag me too or something you need a strong simple memorable and relevant core idea um which which people can go oh yeah i get that i understand that i i believe in that and i will follow that which is simple uh, but not easy um, I mean it took about I think me too was dormant for about eight years until it was triggered by the Harvey Weinstein thing so it's it, it doesn't always go viral when you want it to and then the third stage is that you need to 
create um, a platform, which is not necessarily a web platform, but a, a, an environment, probably digital, where you remove barriers to entry, you build participation, not consumption, so people are contributing as well as just taking, and you enable people to create their own stories and to, to extend it to their own networks. And, and what's really interesting is, is this, um, this idea, there's a, there's a chap called Jeremy Hyman who writes very well about this, this kind of, he calls it new power, about harnessing the power of storms, as he calls it. So Me Too did that with Harvey Weinstein. Donald Trump is very good at it um, on Twitter. Um, and, it, you know, those create movements, whether you like them or perhaps not, but uh, that, that's, that's a very good way of doing it. We know this stuff works um, from some of our clients, from, you know, it works across ultra high net worth through to, um, you know, the financially excluded. Um, it, 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 there are tried and tested techniques for doing this, but it is not like conventional advertising. No, it's completely different, and it, and it and it really does resonate with me, um, specifically because you know, and and again we, we we touched upon this at the conference. People tend not to talk about life insurance. They don't talk about critical illness and income protection. It, it's just one of those those subjects that doesn't really interest people. And mm. about ten years ago, probably. Co- coming up for 10 years ago, um, a very famous financial advisor in the United Kingdom, Tom Bagri, um, the CEO of LifeSearch, which is one of the yeah, biggest IFAs, um, he put a proposal to the financial services industry and said, look, we've got to get people talking about protection. We've got to get people talking about life cover, critical illness, etc. What the industry needs to do is it needs to put its hands in its pockets, club together and come up with a generic TV advertising campaign for protection. And at the time, I was working for Royal London. I was marketing director there, and I went to these meetings. And he was, he was talking a lot of money. You know, I think the minimum um, that they, they thought they could spend was about five million pounds and as you would expect it just did it just didn't go anywhere there was the usual talk about well the bigger companies will benefit more because even you know even if we proportioned out the budget the big companies will benefit more nobody could agree what the act the call to action was nobody could agree what the message was i think i went to about 10 15 meetings and in the end i think tom either threw his hands up and said that's it i'm out of here or, or it, it just fizzled out because there wasn't that commitment now, I don't think we would need to spend five million pounds on something like you've just suggested there. It sounds to me as if this might be much a much more feasible method at creating a generic campaign around protection. Yeah, it's probably down a factor of ten or something. But you're 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 not you still have to create assets. You have still have to um, create the the sort of seed seed the movement, as it were. Um, so it's it's not entirely cost free, but it certainly doesn't involve buying sort of uh, expensive top-down um, media. So, so that cost comes out, which is, yes, it does make it potentially more, more cost-effective. I think, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I do know Tom Bagri a little, and uh, I, I think he's, um, you know, absolutely trying to do the right thing. And, and I think this, this stuff we're talking about wasn't really possible um, no. 10 years ago. No. And that, that is the change. Um, and, and I think... There is also so perhaps another factor, you know, the rising tide of, of let's call it responsible capitalism. I think um, I think firms generally are much more inclined to not not just be seen to be doing the right thing, but to actually be doing the right thing. And clearly, 
enabling uh, consumers to take decisions that really matter in an informed way is a good thing. So having, uh, you know, in, finding finding a, a sort of cost-effective, um, proven way of doing that just makes sense. And if the investment level is much lower, then, uh, then you know, the barriers uh, to some extent go away. Do you know of any um, companies in the financial services market that are doing anything like this, Ian? Well, yes, I do. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we're involved in a, in a project called uh, The Big Exchange, which uh, is uh, with the big issue and some uh, some of the big asset managers, um, Aberdeen Standard, Columbia Threadneedle, um, Alliance Bernstein, Pitay and a number of others, um, which uh, and the idea of that is to try and build a sort of financial ecosystem which is genuinely inclusive and allows people to um, invest in a sustainable way and have access to low cost banking and low cost ethical financial products um, and you know that's that's a fantastic initiative and is an example of collaboration and cooperation between you know seeming competitors uh, for uh, the greater good um, so so yes I think people are doing that and I think uh, you know there's a there's a lot of uh, movement towards um, you know inclusion and diversity and sustainability uh, in the industry generally it definitely seems to me that the time is right to have another conversation. I think people probably look back on Tom Baker's original um, idea and just always dismiss it. TV, you know, you you all you always hear these um, um, stories that TV advertising is dead, and there's there's never an, an issue of Marketing Week issued without a headline saying that that TV advertising is dead. But I do agree with you; it's still a very effective way of getting at large audiences. But when it comes to the financial services industry and the, and the protection part of it in particular, budget is always going to be a big issue. And I think that what we've discussed here just has so much more likelihood of getting over the line. And I do hope that the industry comes together and has a, a conversation about this quite soon. Good. Well, well I mean, so do I. And, and, you know, obviously we'd be we'd be extremely keen to uh, to help any way we can with that. I mean, I, I actually hope TV advertising isn't dead because some of our team are out shooting a TV ad today. Um, but, uh, you know, th- th- I, th- I think all of these tools are, are still relevant, still valid and when appropriately used. But for this particular purpose, in overcoming mistrust, in um, getting people to, enabling people to make the right decisions through this sort of relational belief in, in almost word of mouth from, from other people with similar experiences, feels like the, the right tool to use. Um, and you know the, the low cost aspect obviously helps with that. Yeah. And, and quite a lot of the people listening to the podcast are actually small business owners, they're financial advisors, consultants, that sort of thing. What, what sort of advice would you give to a small business? Again, a business that doesn't have a massive marketing budget. What, what, what would your advice as an agency be to get their message out there? Is it more of what we've been talking about or content marketing? What, what, what's, what's the way forward? Yeah, I mean, it depends. It depends who they are and who their audience is. Yeah. But in general, I think that you know these these tools are available available to to everyone by definition, um, and I think that for me the first um, important thing is to know what you know what it is that you're trying to say. So being very clear about um, you know, the purpose of your organization of the, uh, you know, the you know the reason that people should come to you and you know it sounds obvious but a surprising number of organizations don't quite get that right being clear about um, what the um, 
you know, what what you're trying to say, and then finding a compelling and relevant and memorable way of saying it that sticks in people's minds. Because as you were saying earlier, people's attention span, you know, there is so much information out there. It's people are very, we are all very, very good at filtering out messages unless they are relevant, clear and simple. Um, and then using these, you know, often tech-driven social search and uh, content channels to make sure that that message is consistently delivered across all of those to the right people. Um, it's, you know, that's a, that's a, a slightly um, necessarily superficial answer, but I think the principles of clarity and being compelling and making sure that you're using the right channels of communication are probably universal. Yeah, I think one of the things I find as a marketing consultant, and again, I think it's a it's a consequence of the digital world that we live in now, is that when a new social media platform comes along or a new app comes along, the immediate marketing brain says, how can we use this to communicate? And quite a lot of companies still haven't done the other parts of marketing, worked mm. out what the customer needs are, worked out who their, their customer actually is, you know, specific customer, working out what those customers' needs are, building a product to meet those customers' needs, working out how much it costs, and etc. And then you can start using all these great tools to communicate. But I do find that a lot of the time now, the question when I get approached by people, the first questions will be something like, "We want to do Twitter marketing, or we want to do video marketing," and I'll say to them, "Well, tell me about your strategy." And that's when the eyes glaze over. Oh, we don't want to do strategy; we want to do video. And mm. un- unfortunately, I think a lot of people these days aren't doing the groundwork before they dive in and start doing all the tactical communications. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's always a good idea to uh, know what you're going to say before you start saying it. <laughs> what would you say was the one message you'd like the listeners of the Marketing Finance Podcast to take away from the experience you've had working at AML and, and other agencies and over the years? Well, I mean, simple ideas for complicated businesses is uh, is not a bad summary of it. I think that, yes, businesses, particularly in this sector, are necessarily complicated. They are intermediated, they are regulated, and there is a lot of often resistance and confusion and anxiety on the part of consumers. So um, being simple, being clear and getting to them in a, in a sort of timely and relevant way is, is it, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious, but that's what it takes and that, that's what's needed. I think um, if there's, you know, it, with my sort of slightly campaigning hat on, um, I, I would say that I think that um, these new techniques this new environment of, of doing the right thing and, and, and sustainability and all of the other stuff we've been talking about does mean that it's possible for um, the industry to start a conversation among consumers using these new techniques, which would help those consumers to make the right decisions. And I think that would be, it's a huge opportunity and I think it would be a shame to miss it. And a couple of more fun type questions to wrap up with Ian um, I always like to ask a couple of questions about good good examples of marketing and bad examples of marketing so could you give me an example of a marketing campaign or a product that's caught your attention for being beautifully simple tell us what it was and what you liked about it well obviously see it say it's sorted Roger. <laughs> how did I know you were going to say that <laughs> I, I, okay at, at the risk of irritating some of your listeners and, and pleasing some other of your listeners um, I, I think that um, 
the uh, the take back control leave campaign was uh, whatever your view on Brexit, a very powerful and clearly a very effective marketing campaign, and and it was quite a good example of the kind of in almost invisible grassroots type campaign that we're that we're we're talking about here. And at the other end of the scale, give us an example of marketing madness, something stupidly complex or needlessly bloated. Well, again, at the risk of sounding a bit political, I think I'm not entirely convinced that spending 100 million quid on a top-down advertising campaign telling people to get ready for Brexit when no one really knows the outcome yet seems a bit bonkers. <laughs> I think I definitely would agree with you there. And, and before we sign off in, I'm hoping that people listening to the show might want to get in touch with you. So what is the best way that people should connect with you? Well, carry a pigeon, obviously. No, uh, <laughs> no. digital media. Um, email me on uh, ian.henderson at aml-group.com or you can just simply go to aml-group.com uh, or uh, Ian Henderson AML on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Ian, thank you so much for coming on the Marketing and Finance podcast. It's been really good to catch up with you again. I enjoyed your talk at the Protection Review Conference and I've really enjoyed digging a little bit deeper into the subject matter today. And hopefully in the near future, maybe we'll be sitting in a room discussing that generic campaign. I very much hope so. And I think it, I think it's, uh, it would be worth doing for sure. And uh, thanks again for inviting me to the conference and, and uh, to this podcast today. Thank you. Thanks, Ian. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.